Well, before the Apostle Paul has entered into a deep discussion concerning marriage in 1 Corinthians 7, he begins with a very critical problem that destroys marriages and destroys individuals who are single as well, and that is sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is a just a grave problem, not only in their society, but as well as ours. So often we think that all things are so different today, and yet the Corinthian culture very much is like what we see today in terms of such an emphasis on sexuality and the sexual immorality that happens about us. And so the Apostle Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 6, and he basically just boils it down to, here's what you and I need to do. The first words of verse 18. It's time to flee sexual immorality. Run from sexual sin. This is really important after describing all of these problems that these arguments that these uh, Corinthians have been making concerning, well, it's okay to be sexually immoral. It's alright. It's not a big deal. And he's gone through piece by piece and taken apart those uh, arguments. He now comes to just a very simple, strong encouragement Run. You have to run from sexual immorality. We have the thought process that we can play with sexual immorality and get kind of close up to it and try to draw particular lines and we, well, we'll just, this is okay and this is okay. And we fool ourselves. And how often the scriptures tell you and I that we need to run, run, run from this sin. And what I want to talk about for a moment is that sexual morality is essentially so dangerous uh, and it is so deceptive and it can catch us completely off guard. Uh, nobody really goes into their life going, well, I'm going to be sexually immoral and I'm going to commit adultery and cheat on my spouse. And <clears throat> it is deceptive. You begin to build relationships with people that over time begin to steal your heart away from your spouse. And little by little, what seems to be innocent and what seems to be acceptable now becomes unacceptable and is no longer innocent. Uh, In our world today, I think there are in particular three areas where we need to be particularly careful, where we need to apply This direction and exhortation to run, to flee from sexual immorality. I think we could probably spend an awful lot of lessons just on this command, flee sexual morality, and talk about all the ways to do that. But I think there are three areas where we really need to pay careful attention to. And those three areas are work, online, and the church. I'm going to go through each of those for a minute and talk about why each of these are so important. I think one of the things we need to do is is to especially watch out at work because we're spending hours in a place where we're compelled often to spend time with people of the opposite gender. But that is extremely dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. And we have to be so careful and be very watchful to not allow a relationship that we have to have at work to turn into something more than that. We have to then put up boundaries and we have to put up barriers 
in all aspects of the various relationships and circumstances and places that we go. We have to be very careful knowing that this danger is out there. That here is the Apostle Paul saying this is such a dangerous sin that you need to run far from it. When it comes to work then, it means that we need to not allow for flirting. You know, it's something like, oh, is it really nice that they pay attention to me, you know, and they kind of bat an eye or, you know, that soft, gentle touch or something like that. And you feel good and warm and fuzzy and it's like, danger! You're supposed to see it and go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's dangerous. That's the beginning point. If somebody pays you a compliment, says something nice, and it begins to perk your attention, to turn your eyes, to turn your heart, we have to be so careful about private discussions. Don't sit with the opposite gender at lunch and having private discussions or talking about home or talking about things like that or problems or what have you. What we do in the workplace needs to be strictly confined to work. And the discussion must only be about work. To be very careful that we are not inadvertently building a relationship with somebody who could then over time steal our heart away. Because the path is simple. You got some problems at home, and here's your friend you can talk to and open up to and say all these things about, oh, things are so tough, and guess what? Now your heart has been stolen away from your spouse. And I've seen that such time and time again. And so, men, we especially have to be very careful about these things. We need to be very watchful about this in, in the workplace, that this is a grave danger of all the hours that are spent at work, both men and women. All the time that we spend there, often more time at work than you even are able to spend at home. Watchful. Be careful. Run from any semblance of sexual immorality and put up boundaries. Second is about online. And when we mention online, I'm not talking about pornography. We've talked about that already in prior lessons, how it has to be completely put to death and completely eradicated. That is a serious sin. That is a serious case of sexual morality there. But what I'm talking about in particular is social media. That I have now seen with the Facebook and Twitter and all of these kinds of abilities to have uh, easy access to uh, relationships with people in the past. That what has happened is in an innocent way of connecting with friends from past of high school and junior high and college and things like that. And what begins is just simple conversation. Oh, hey, yeah, how's it? I haven't heard from you in 20 years, things like that begins to turn into deep conversations. I am personally aware of preachers who, getting in an innocent way, getting to know old friends, reignited old flames and fell away from the Lord, cheated on their spouse, and went with their old high school sweetie that they had reconnected with back online again. It would be very, very careful about those things as well, that we put boundaries up. That, okay, make a comment, see how they're doing, but watch out if we're talking about conversations. Watch out if we are having engaging discussions with them repeatedly about things. And another good boundary and barrier is total access that your spouse has 
to all of your online dealings. That they can read your online activity anytime they want, your browser history, your Facebook, your messages, your texts, any of those kinds of things, so that everything stays above board, that we have to be very careful about that. And I would just say, if you don't want your spouse to see what you are doing, you are doing something wrong. That's a simple, simple rule. If you don't want them to see what you're saying, you are doing something wrong. There shouldn't be anything that you are saying or doing in regards to online, email, texting, Facebook, any of those things that you would be concerned if somebody saw that. should be no problem for your spouse to get on your messages and read exactly what you're saying. And if it is, you're doing something wrong. Number three, this one might surprise you, but this happens a lot, more than we often realize, is what can happen in a group of Christians is we let our defenses down and we say, well, we're all Christians together and we're supposed to be building relationships together. And we think, well, you know, it's all innocent, it's all fine, except then you begin to have improper conversations and long conversations with the opposite gender that you're not supposed to be having because, again, the same thing happens just as much if it were online or if it was at work. It's the same danger. Now your heart is being taken away from your spouse and you're spending more time talking to somebody else. It is a very serious danger and again has happened so many times and it reminds us then we need to have barriers where we're not in the habit of spending alone time with somebody who's of the opposite gender, even though they're a Christian. Shouldn't have those kinds of things. Shouldn't be having long conversations on the phone or texting or in person, long drawn out. These are very important boundaries because you are inadvertently building deeper relationships that can steal your heart away from your spouse. These things need to be in the open, in public, and not things that are kind of hidden where you're spending inordinate amount of time. The sum of it is in any relationship, not just pick three, but in any of your circumstances or situations, it is absolutely critical that we establish critical, important, never broken boundaries. And typically our response is usually, well, why you don't trust me? Usually, anytime we speak of boundaries, okay, we need to flee sexual immorality. We need to be very careful that this is a very serious danger that Satan uses to attack everybody and attack Christians. And so we talk about, okay, we're going to put up these boundaries. We're going to put up these barriers so that we can be sure that we don't fall into these sins. And sometimes a reaction will be, well, I don't want you to see my Facebook. Don't you trust me? You don't need to look at my phone. Don't you trust me? I want to say a few things about that. Number one, this is not about trust. This is about our desire to protect a marriage. This is not about, oh, I don't trust you or anything like that. This is about you want to protect the marriage. You want to be able to maintain it so that it stays secure. This is about you wanting to be completely transparent to your spouse. If you're trying to hide something from them, you're doing something wrong. There should be total transparency. 
You should want them to know what you're doing. We should not be bothered that, well, they want to know where I am at all times. So, if you're concerned about that, where are you going so that you don't want them to know where you're at? Who cares? On your iPhone, you can know exactly where your spouse is. So what? Let them do that. Be open. Be transparent. Show them you have nothing to worry about. I want to protect the marriage. I want to be accountable. I want to show you that you are the most important thing in my life. I want to show you that you have nothing to be concerned about. I want to show that by protecting the marriage and giving transparency. And let me put it this way. It's not about that I don't trust you. It's that I don't trust Satan. We should all know that we cannot trust Satan at all. That he will take the simplest, innocent kind of situation and put temptation right there. What starts off as something simple and necessary at work becomes an affair. What starts off as something simple and, oh, well, it's just a friend from high school, turns into long conversations, becomes an affair. What turns into, hey, well, we're just friends at church. Don't worry. It's okay. Watch out. All of you know my mom had an affair and cheated on my dad with somebody in the very church. Don't pretend to think that that doesn't happen. There must be, even with our our comfort and how close we are to each other, there must still be boundaries. Boundaries of conversation. If I am texting one of you ladies, husbands up there, if I am texting your wife on a daily basis, there's something wrong. That's wrong. That is wrong. That can't happen. That's not supposed to happen. You are in a relationship with your spouse and those kinds of conversations belong there and they don't belong anywhere else. They don't belong online. They don't belong to your parents. They don't belong to your kids. And they don't belong at work. They don't belong to your friends at church. You don't go to your friends at church and tell them how your awful wife does this, that, and whatever. Don't do that. It's inappropriate. And you are laying foundation for what he's speaking about in this whole paragraph, sexual immorality. And we have to be so careful. And to recognize the necessity of boundaries. That's marriage has to be transparent. You say, where do you get that in the scriptures? I'll tell you where I get that. Genesis 2.24. The two became one flesh. (laughs) Everything you do is the operation of the other. They know exactly where you are. They know exactly what you're doing. That should never be a problem. That should never be an issue. If we are serious about fighting this temptation, if we are serious about running from sexual immorality, then we want to put up these boundaries. And we want to do everything we can to make sure our actions are above board, that they are never mistaken, that they are never taken in an improper way. We want to do everything we can. And I'd encourage any of you who are married here to sit down and talk those boundaries out. Of what you all want to have. So that if I'm at work, my wife can get a hold of me anytime she wants. Call, you know, whatever. So if I'm in El Paso, Texas on a meeting, unless I'm preaching or in somebody's house eating dinner, she can get a hold of me. We have to give that to each other. 
we have to secure one another and give that transparency so that we are protecting the marriage so that everybody can then recognize that we are not falling into this temptation. Protect your marriage, protect your spouse, protect yourself. I think verse 18 speaks of just the serious nature of sexual immorality and why you can't play with it, why you have to run far from it. Verse 18, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Here's a description that, do you understand the severity of sexual sins? And I'll I'll throw up here just as an aside that uh, some of the translations read this a little different, but I want you to see that it's coming to the same conclusion. The majority of translations, the first one up on the screen, makes this that this is what Paul's instruction is. Every person who commits a sin, commits every sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Another possibility is that it is a quotation of what the Corinthians are saying. The Corinthians are running around saying, hey, every sin a person commits is, is outside the body, so what? And he's saying, but hey, a person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. So whichever you have, I want you to see the conclusion is drawn out the same way that what the Apostle Paul argues is, do you understand how serious this sin is? Do you understand the gravity of what these sins do to you? There is a devastating impact that happens to you and to your family in sexual sin. You don't have to turn there if you just want to listen. I'm going to read to you some of the Proverbs. I find that the discussion that the, the Solomon gives in the Proverbs to his son to be just so powerful. But you have time. Read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Huge paragraph. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And what it says essentially to sum it up is you don't want to be sexually immoral and you don't want to commit adultery because you are going to wreck your life. That's kind of the conclusion of it all. That's the Brent Kirchner summary of three chapters right there. You're going to wreck your life. But listen to some of the things that he says here. Like in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20, here is the father to the son. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. He starts by saying, the stuff that I'm just about to tell you right now, don't ever let go of it. Bind it on your heart. Tie it around your neck. Put it in front of your face. You need to do what I'm telling you, my son. Verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp and a teach and the teaching is a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress now before you get upset remember the father's talking to his son that's why he's talking about watch out for the adulteress but this works both ways ladies watch out for the man and such men uh, watch out for the woman that's what he's doing but he's got his son and he's sitting him down and saying now watch out for this evil woman this adulteress verse 20 Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. (laughs) She's flirting with you. Don't let her do that. Watch it. Watch it. Verse 26. For the price of a prostitute is a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Adultery, he says, 
is going to wreck you. Verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? This is what guys like. Oh, you know, a little flirtation, a little play. No big deal, right? Oh, it's not a big deal. Can you carry fire right next to you and not be burned? Oh, you're going to get hurt. You are lying to yourself if you think that you can play around and just get it kind of close to sexual immorality. Oh, you know, it's, it's nothing. We haven't done anything yet. Danger. You're carrying fire right next to you. Verse 28, or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. You're going to reap consequences. See, you know what the lie of Satan is? Nobody will find out. And nobody's going to get hurt. No one who touches her will be unpunished. Verse 30, people who do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his grace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious. And he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no no compensation. He will refuse, uh, though you multiply gifts. Here's this, this beautiful warning here of you're going to pay for this decision. You're going to hurt yourself, destroy your reputation. You will be a disgrace. The wounds will be serious. You can jump down to chapter 7 and look at verse 10. He says there, Behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and in every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. With a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, and as a stag that is caught fast till the arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into the snare he does not know that it will cost him his life and now O sons listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth do not let your heart turn aside to her ways do not stray into her paths for many a victim she has laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng her house is the way of Sheol and going down to the chambers of death whoa you know, of all the sins to pick, the proverb writer does not go on and on and on with other sins like that one. Or he says, 
you're being deceived. You're hearing the lies. Oh, come on in. It's going to be fine. My husband's away. No one will ever know. Everything's prepared. It's going to be wonderful. And he goes, you're going to be caught like the ox going to the slaughter. Now that online site that blew up a few few months ago, none of them thought they'd ever be caught. You're going to be caught. God said you'd be caught. You're going to be caught for your actions. We need to protect our marriages because sexual sin, it is dangerous, it is tempting, and it is destructive. And the only thing that we can do when we see this temptation is to run as far away from it as possible. Now look at verse 19 because here's a verse that I think promptly gets ripped right out of its context. This has been used for all kinds of things. Verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? I've seen that used for everything under the sun. (laughs) But we're in a context of sexual immorality, aren't we? We're talking about the problem of sexual immorality. Now, it's important to recognize what that meant when you talked about the temple. The temple was the dwelling place of God. But as we've been studying in our Sunday morning class, even Solomon, when he builds that temple, says, Now, God's not literally in this building. And when Stephen, when he preaches his sermon, he says the exact same thing. God cannot be housed in anything physical. He can't be housed in anything that is human made. He can't be housed in anything that is here on earth, obviously. He is the supreme and awesome God who dwells in the heavens. But the temple then had a great picture of covenant relationship. It was a picture of the blessings of God and belonging to the Lord. It was a wonderful image that when the temple was there, there was access to God. It was a beautiful picture of how God was with them. And that was such a beautiful scene with the tabernacle and with the temple. God is with His people and we are in covenant relationship with Him. Think about the powerful declaration that the Apostle Paul is saying here. Don't you know why you have to stay far, far away from sexual immorality? Because you're in a covenant relationship with God. Don't you understand who you are? Don't you understand how important it is to preserve your purity before God? Because you are a temple of the living God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you. Don't you understand what this means as you stand before God? Is that you then are representing God. The temple is always used as a place of worship. And so he's telling them, you don't use your body for sexual sins. It is supposed to be a worship to God. And that's why he can say in verse 19, you are not your own. It fits very well in verses 15 and 16 when he says there, why can't you be joined to the prostitute? Because you're joined to Christ. You're in relationship with Christ. And because you're in relationship with Him, that means you can't be over here in sexual sin. The two don't work together. You can't be in sexual sin and in relationship with Christ. And He's doing the same thing here in in verse 19. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know what you represent? You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be the light of the world. You're supposed to be the temple of the living God, drawing people to the Lord. Don't you understand that you stand in covenant relationship with God? 
And don't you understand that you're supposed to be the beacon of light that shows Christ to the world? It's not happening when we're sexually immoral. It's not happening in adultery. That's not happening when we do any of the things that we've studied, like back there in verses 9, 10, and 11. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. You're not being what God has called you to be. I think it's a beautiful scene as well when he just simply says there in verse 19, you are not your own. I think we really need to hear that more and more and more. Your body does not belong to you. Now our world says it's my body. I can do whatever I want to do. And God goes, no, it's not. No, it's not. Verse 19, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Two things. God created your body, so that makes it not yours. And then he bought it, which makes it not yours. It wasn't yours to start with, but you plunged it into sin and he redeemed it and bought it. And so it's still not yours. It's not your body. When you came to Christ, you were putting your body into the Lord's service. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And that means we cannot then use our body for selfish, self-centered pleasures and desires. Our body is to be used in service to God. In fact, notice what he says there in verse 20. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. What a great way to round out this problem of sexual immorality. If you're joined sexually immoral, you're not joined to Christ. Verses 15 and 16. Verse 19. Don't you know the relationship with your, that you're in? You're a temple to God. You're supposed to be a monument to God, displaying God to the world in covenant relationship with God. Don't you know who you are? You can't be joined in sexual immorality. And then he comes to a great conclusion here in verse 20 just to say, Your body was given to you and I. Not so that you would use it whatever seems fit to us or whatever is pleasurable to us or to do whatever we like. It was given to us so that we would glorify God with it. That's part of that temple imagery that we've studied this morning. The temple was built for the glorification of God. Your body is a temple. It's intended to glorify God. It's supposed to be praising and worshiping God in the things that that it does. And so we are supposed to use our body in such a way that we are declaring to the world and that we are even declaring to God that He is infinitely more valuable and more precious and more to be desired than anything else that we can do in this life. That's what we are telling Him. Yeah, I've got all these urges and desires and lusts and all these things. Yeah, He's talking about that in here. That's what He said back there earlier when He said, such were some of you. We've all been there. But now you've been bought by Christ. And that's supposed to change everything. Now we are showing with our body that we don't do what we desire, but we are showing that God is to be desired. That He is more precious. That He is more valuable than me succumbing to my personal desires. What a great picture it is 
to say that you have been purchased by God and now you have a God-given purpose with your body. To use your body in holiness. To use your body in a way that shows the glory of God. This is why we must be sexually pure. is because we are to use our body as God designed it. And to use our body as God has governed it. Because we're displaying God to the world. And though we live in a time where sexual promiscuity is completely accepted... It's assumed we are called to live differently as children of God. We were bought with a price. We belong to Christ. We are the temple of the living God. And we are representing God. And we are showing the world God. And we are lights to the world by what we say and do. That's supposed to mean something to us and be what is so important to us. As we conclude then, in using that, I want you to consider if we thought about that statement there. Glorify God in your body. How much would that change how we interact in marriage? What you say to your spouse, what you do in that relationship, how you act, how you behave, how much would it change you say everything you say and do is supposed to be for the glory of God? That'll change a lot of conversations. That'll change a lot of behaviors. That'll change a lot of inappropriate actions. God is to be glorified in that. Friends, don't forget what Ephesians 5 tells us. Where he uses the relationship of Christ and the church and says, now let's look at the marriage relationship and see the parallel. The marriage relationship is supposed to be a beautiful display of the love of God. It's supposed to be glorifying God and how we act in that marriage. It's supposed to be a beautiful declaration how we act and how we speak. Glorify God in your body. I think then we would recognize if we're going to glorify God with these bodies, we need, we need, we must protect our marriage. We must protect our marriages. We live in a society that is very dangerous, very dangerous to marriage. Not only because of all the media that is just full of, hey, sexual morality is great, shows it on TV and movies constantly as if this was the wonderful, right, happy decision which can begin to tempt us away from putting our efforts into our marriage. That we look around and go, well, we, somebody else would be better. Look, how much, look at that movie. It would just be the same thing. Not only that. But you recognize we live in a time where the wedding ring doesn't mean anything to the casual observer anymore. It doesn't mean off limits to people. You see things where people take that as a challenge to try to create sexual immorality rather than recognizing that's to be protected. And so for us, there must be greater boundaries 
run, 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 run from any hint of sexual temptation. You will never regret doing that. You'll never regret running. Even if it was innocent and you mistook it, you'll never regret that you ran, but you'll regret if you stayed. You'll never regret if you were wrong and you just ran just to be safe. But you think, oh, it's not a big deal. I can handle it. Danger. Can a man carry fire close to his body and not be burned? Run, run, run. Create boundaries. Will you please create boundaries? We must have boundaries. We must have boundaries. We must always do that. You might notice, <laughs> ladies, if I ever give you a hug, if you notice I try to do the side hug, I mean, boundaries. We <laughs> even did that. You do it sideways, you know? Yeah, it's good. Love one another, but boundaries, be careful. It seems silly, it seems unnecessary. It's important. There must be boundaries. Create those boundaries so that you protect the marriage, offer the transparency, because you want to show in the marriage that this is the marriage that I'm committed to. I'm not looking to anybody else. I'm not looking for anyone else. We're going to work together in this marriage, as Jesus had said, because the two are joined together. Man's not going to separate. Will you not resist accountability? If you go home in your discussions today and talk about boundaries and talk about protecting the marriage, will you will you please discard any statement that begins with, but you should trust me? It's, it's nothing personal. It's not that your spouse doesn't trust you. Is that he or she wants you to show them love? And show that you're more important than any other human being. And I want to protect the marriage. I want to preserve the marriage. And I will take any accountability that there is. Lord willing, next week, now we're going to get into chapter 7. Where now he's going to break into all of the details of how to maintain the proper marriage. But please recognize what a paragraph about sexual immorality Will we please, please watch out for how dangerous it is and how it is wrecked marriage after marriage, just as the proverb writer said it would. Let's be careful and let's live in honor and purity before our God. You pull your song book out. We'll sing an invitation song. And we invite you to find your hope in the grace of Jesus. I want you to see that there is forgiveness of sins in Christ, that if you have not been living how you ought to have lived, if you've been in sexual immorality, if you've cheated on your spouse, if you've done things sexually that are wrong, you can be forgiven. That's why the Apostle Paul said, such were some of you come to Christ and turn away from doing those things and find forgiveness in Jesus. It's not too late. These are grave sins that bear grave consequences. But even though the consequences of our sin may carry into our lives and we deal with those things perhaps all of our days, there is still the offer of forgiveness that your eternity can be set if you will come to Christ and turn away from those sins and live faithfully before your God.
Will you do that today? Will you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and walk with Jesus the rest of your days? Will you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?